Somewhat impaired tonight, so if I cough or gag or sneeze or fall over, don't worry about it. It's uh, it's not serious. So uh, we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, as we noted, we don't do sermonettes at ICM, and we talked about why we don't do sermonettes at ICM. Uh, one is I fear God too much. Um, to play patty cake with the Word of God. I have to give an account to Him of how I present Him to you. Um, And again, I tremble at the prospect to dumb down His Word to make you like it better, Um, which is what happens in many, many so-called Christian churches these days. Um, Again, life is too short is another good reason. Um, I'm not going to waste my time up here, and I don't want to waste your time. Um... If I'm not going to really give you the Word of God, then why come? Just go do something else. Um, Life's too short. And then, the last reason, Renee, is what was it I forgot? Sermonettes beget Christianettes. Sermonettes beget Christianettes, and Christianettes are no good for anything. Um, It's the Revelation 3, lukewarm Christian. So, what's the point? You know, what's the point? So we don't do sermonettes um, at ICM, as most of you know. Uh, and we're in John 17. You actually, with any, you, you know, if you're going to have any integrity, you can't do a sermonette in John 17. It is probably the, the Everest of the whole Bible as far as a chapter. Maybe Romans would be the, the, the Everest book, and maybe John 17 would be the Everest chapter in 17. We are in on intra-Trinitarian communication. You can go ahead and turn to John 17 if you would like. It's big, it's beautiful, it's weighty, it's deep, and it is mysterious. And as I said last week, for some of you, it may blow up your denominational definition of God and how He saves His people. Uh, This is always a good thing. if you can blow up your denominational view of God, if in fact it's not a biblical view. So, um, I I just give you that small warning uh, for those of you who, some some of these realities that we will talk about tonight may be new to you. Um, So yeah, we just at ICM, we just open the Bible. No apologies, no excuses. We just tell you what God says. I actually got the best compliment I ever got here. It was probably about eight or ten years ago. A young woman came up to me and she said, You know, you don't tell us, you know, what to do. You tell us what God says. And so, if you can't see what I'm saying on the page, then you have every right, as I was telling young adults Wednesday night, you have every right to come and ask me about it. So, we're just going to... Open the Word again, John 17, and as I always like to say, in case we have any skeptics, it doesn't matter if you like it or if I like it. The only thing that matters is, did God say it? And I want, I want all of us to get to that place with God and God's Word. Even when it, I struggle with the truths that He is revealing, right? I want us all to be in that place. So let me ask you, at what time in your life did you feel most 
Secure. Absolute, total, complete security. The only thing, the only thing I could think of was laying in my mother's lap probably when I was like three or four. That's about the only time I can think. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, and even, even the security that I perceived at that moment was really an illusion. There was no real ultimate security there, but I did feel safe. As you know, insecurity is a big business psychologically and emotionally and financially. Human beings spend billions, uh, yeah, billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars, on insuring their insecurities. A lot of people make a lot of money trying to help us get over our feeling of being exposed and weak and in need. So men have always longed to be secure, but there is no security on this planet. Why is that true? Because God's not good? No, because we're not good. Uh, Again, read your Bible. God put us in paradise. It wasn't enough. We rebelled. That's why there's no security. The last time there was security on this planet, it was in the garden. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. There has been none since. And there will never be any until Jesus comes back. As most of you know, at least some of you know, who've lived a little while, loved loved one dies, spouses leave, health fails, jobs are lost, investments go bad, and governments fail. There's no security. There is no security. And if you think you found it apart from Jesus Christ, I just want to say to you lovingly, that is an illusion. If you're trusting in anything other than Christ, it is an illusion. We innately long for what seems like we lost. And I want to say it again, we did lose it because we did have it before we declared our independence from God. We once had security, ultimate security. And we all feel, don't we? Unless we're completely narcissistic and deceived, we all feel weak and fragile and temporal and exposed. I've never had true, I've never counseled any human being that didn't, that didn't confess to these things. In fact, that's usually why they're counseling. <clears throat> They've got some, some issues that they need to resolve. So, David understood. I just want to share this with you. Psalm 18, 1 and 2, you know it. David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David is pointing at the only security that there is for any human being. His name is Jesus Christ. For those of you interested, that's again Psalm 18, 1 and 2. So, this is part of what Jesus is doing in John 17. He's praying aloud. He's praying audibly. He wants His men to hear that He is a rock. Yes, the storm is coming. He will be taken from them very soon. They will watch Him die. They will watch Him be buried. It will look like all is lost. But He's telling them in this prayer, this is why He's praying audibly to His Father, 
He's telling them, I'm your rock. Even if it doesn't look like I'm your rock, I'm your rock. Amen? Every true believer in here knows that. Even when it doesn't look like God's my rock, He's my rock. And I can stand there and I have ultimate security. Yeah, they may kill the body, but what does Jesus say? Let them kill the body. You need to fear the one who can send you to hell. And we've been reconciled to Him, right? The Almighty One, the Omnipotent One. El Shaddai. So Jesus tonight continues to pray for His men. In John 17, He wants them to know the storm is coming, but they are secure in Him. I want to say this. You already know it. Your security is not in your family. It's not in your health. It's not in your career. It's not in your money. And it's not in your insurance policies. If you have any security at all, His name is Jesus Christ. If you don't have Him, you have none. You have none. The Christian security is the author and perfecter of our faith. His name is Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus wants His eleven men to know this. He wants them to know that He is their rock even in the midst of this storm. I do, I do want to just cover a little bit of ground from last week just to remind you um, what Jesus says ten times in the Gospel of John. I'm not going to give you all the references. If you want the references, email me. I'll send you my notes. I can document this. Jesus says ten times. Now, why do you think God says something ten times? Let me just ask you. Why do you think God says something ten times in one book? Do you think it might be because He wants you to understand it? Do you think that might be part of it? I think it is. Ten times, Jesus talks about the fact that all of His people are a loved gift from the Father to the Son. He just keeps saying it. Those whom you have given me. Those whom you have given me. Those whom you have given me. Ten times. I found ten times in the Gospel of John. Six times in John 17 alone. Jesus is praying for the men that God has given him. And we're going to flesh that out here in just a few minutes. If you're a Christian, your security is not in the prayer you prayed. It's not in the ordinance you did. And it's not in the church you joined. If you're a Christian, your eternal security is John 17. And many other passages in the Bible. Five times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, and again, if you want the references, I'll send them to you. Jesus says, of all that the Father gives, what? I'll never lose one of them. And I told you last week, don't ever listen to some false teacher who says, oh, you can be a Christian but lose your salvation. This is, um, yeah, I think, what did I say? Um, I tried to not be too severe. I said something, well, I just said they're clueless. The Bible doesn't teach this. Your security is intra-Trinitarian reality. You are a loved gift from the Father to the Son, and Jesus will not lose one of them. In fact, if you're biblically literate, you understand that your whole salvation is of God. It's just of God. 
Yes, of course, we must respond. But it is of God. Jesus says, I will lose none of them. And while there might be an infinite number of reasons in the infinite mind and heart of Jesus that He will not lose any of those men or women that God has given to Him, I would think the principle, one of the principal reasons would be I don't think the Son is going to take for granted any gift that the Father would give. This is a love gift from the Father to the Son. If you're a Christian tonight, you are secure in the ultimate sense. Yes, your investments may go bad, your spouse may leave, your children may die, you may be evicted. We are not immune to any of these issues, but we are ultimately secure. We will enter the new heaven and the new earth. We are secure in the only way that really matters. So the context, again, I think all of you have been here as we've gone through the um, last few chapters of of John. The context, Jesus at, in, at the very end of John 16, verse 33, He ends His discourse to His 11 men. Judas is gone. He's on His way to betray Jesus. He's uh, completed His discourse without a break. John 17, 1, Jesus lifts up His eyes and He begins to pray to the Father. Now, this is the Lord's Prayer. I know we call the prayer in, in the Sermon on the Mount the Lord's Prayer. Well, that's the prayer He gives us to pray. This is the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> this is the prayer that only Jesus can pray. You can't pray it and I can't pray it. But Jesus will pray it. And again, He's praying audibly because He wants His men to hear these realities and He wants through these men for you to hear them as well. So by way of review, what is Jesus saying repeatedly in the Gospel of John about the men who the Father has given Him? I want to pick up here. We, we, worked, we, we did a little bit on John 6. I just want to review it because it sets up the next 10 verses. John 6, uh, pardon me, John 17, 6, verse 6. John 17, verse 6. Jesus is praying to the Father, I manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. <clears throat> As noted last week, if we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, if we understand the particulars of Scripture from the whole of Scripture, there's only one legitimate interpretation here. In fact, I, I don't even bring the word interpretation here. This, this, this text is not even subject to interpretation. It just is what it is. And it's important that we understand it. We talked about it last week, and I just want to read it to you again. I could go to several texts to help you understand what Jesus is talking about. Most of you probably already know, but I'll just turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 1. You can go with me there if you like. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Let me do, this, is, this, is what Jesus is, this is who Jesus is talking about. Ephesians 1, 
verses 3 through 6. Let me just read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. This is what Jesus, this is who Jesus is talking about in John 17. Among conservative biblical scholars, there's really no legitimate debate about this. This is who Jesus is talking about. The disciples who belong to the Father by the Father's electing love. Okay? This is the clear meaning of the text. When did that happen? What did the Word of God say? When did that happen? Before the foundation of the world. That's when that happened. They're God's. He elected them. He foreordained it. They are the fathers. He has given them to the Son. There really is no other legitimate. We, we talked about a few false interpretations last week. I won't cover that again. If you, you know, if you missed last week and you'd like a little more groundwork here, a little more foundation, uh, yeah, go to the podcast site and download the, uh, the sermon. God is unapologetically clear in His Word whether you like it or not. And I've got to be honest with you, I've been doing this for a long time. There's a significant amount of people who call themselves Christians who do not like this. They do not like how God saves His people. They don't like it. They are offended. And I cautioned you last week about this, that you might want to be a little bit humble with the Word of God and don't touch His glory and the salvation of His people. Listen, it's okay to struggle with these things. It's okay to, to not fully grasp. And listen... You know, we, we have two and a half pounds of gray matter, and we're dealing with, with an infinite mind, who, uh, mind here who is disclosing, you know, deep mysteries, divine mysteries. Of course, there is difficulty at times in understanding all that God is saying. But what I'm saying to you is Christianity is not about understanding it all, it's about believing it all. It's always about faith. It's always about faith. So God is unapologetically clear in His Word. You know these words. If you're biblically literate, you know these words. God elects, God foreknows, God chooses, and God predestines. This is what the Father does. The Father does this. Again, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter if you can explain it or not. This is what God does. This is a divine side of human salvation. It's also very clear from the Bible. He asserts that all men everywhere are responsible to repent, believe, come, receive, and obey. This is the human side of salvation. Both things are true. You say, well, Jim, I feel some tension there. Well, okay. You've got two and a half pounds of gray matter. 
You feel some tension? What I want to say to you, these are two truths that run parallel through the Bible. You say, well, I don't see how they could ever intersect. Well, again, you're dealing with two and a half pounds of gray matter as opposed to an infinite mind. Don't touch the glory of God in the salvation of His people, beloved. I say this to you in all humility. You be careful. You be careful about what you discount in the Word of God. Especially when it comes to how He saves His people. And right here in verse 6, in verse 6, back to John 17, in verse 6 we see the divine side, don't we? We see the divine side. We, we, we saw the, the divine side. Then we see the human side. What's the human side in verse 6? The Father gave them to the, uh, to the Son. They were His, and then He gave them to the Son, and they kept your Word. They kept the Word of God. This is what men do. You're responsible to keep the Word of God. You must respond to the open call of God. It's an open call. Come. You must respond to it. And Jesus is saying, these guys have responded to it. These guys have responded. So with that brief review of 6, let's move on to verse 7. And I want to read verse 7 and 8. Jesus continuing to pray, Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Effectively, Jesus is simply saying that these guys know. They know I'm God. They know I'm one with you. If you're a Christian tonight, it's what you know as well. In essence, Jesus is saying that what he will repeat in verse 10. Let me just drop down to verse 10 real quick. Look, look what Jesus says. All things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. Jesus and the Father are one in every sense of the word. Jesus has said this to them all the way through the gospel. I am from the Father. I am from the Father. I've been sent from the Father. The Father and I are one. This again is another way. And listen, the guys that tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God, he said it in about 10,000 ways. All you've got to do is read the Bible with average comprehension skills. This is not mysterious. And I want you to notice in verse 7, verse seven and verse 8, again, we see the human side of salvation. What did these men do? What did they do? Well, they... they, they uh, they have known, they have received, they have understood, and they have believed that Jesus was sent from the Father. There's a real relationship going on. There's some real faith going on. So let me ask you this question. This is a good way to say it sometimes. Does God choose men or do men choose God? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. The biblical answer is yes. That is the biblically correct answer. God loved and elected these men before the foundation of the world. 
before the foundation of the world, and these men have loved, received, believed, and understood, and known that Jesus is the Messiah. This is not hard in a, in a, in a sense that it's complex. It's just that you have to be willing to lay down your pride. I've been doing this for a long time, and this is where pride comes in. Um, you know, men want to stick out their chest and, and exercise their free will. Well, what about God's free will? Does God not have a free will to, to exercise as well? Again, I caution you to be humble. And again, if these truths are new to you, please, I, I'm happy to sit down and I'm happy to open the Bible and we'll talk about it. But if the Bible says it, then I'm going to teach it. <laughs> My job's not hard. I told you before, if they could teach a chimp to talk, you could put a chimp here. Verse 9. Another critical verse here in the, in the chapter. Verse 9, Jesus says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are, they are yours. They are yours. Jesus says, I'm praying for my guys here. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the Ephesian 1 guys. That's who Jesus is always interceding for, the Ephesian 1 guys. He's interceding for them. This is the great work of the risen Christ. Post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension is the intercession of Christ for His people. This is what He's doing presently. He's praying for you. He's praying for all of His people. This is your security. <laughs> okay? This is your ultimate security. Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of God. He will most assuredly not lose one of them. So it raises the question, doesn't it? Does Jesus pray for unbelievers? Some of you may know the place I would go to uh, in the Bible. There's only one example of Jesus praying for unbelievers. Um, some of you may recall Luke 23:34 at the cross Jesus prayed Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So is Jesus unconcerned about the lost? No, he came to save the lost. He bled out for the lost. He's not unconcerned about the lost. You were lost. And now you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Is He unconcerned for the lost? May it never be to borrow one of the Apostle Paul's favorite verses or favorite phrases. May it never be. But Jesus' intercessor, intercessory ministry is not about unbelievers. It's only for believers. You know that great passage in Matthew 23:37 where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. He says, "Man, I would gather you to myself, but why could he not gather them to himself? Why would that not happen?" Does anybody remember the text? 
But you are, anybody remember? You are unwilling. You are unwilling. This is why men and women land in hell. You say, well, it's because they're not elect. No, it's because they're unwilling. Jesus says it. Jesus says it. John 5.40 When He was talking to the Pharisees, He says, You are unwilling to come to Me that you might have life. You are unwilling. Jesus says, I don't ask on behalf of the world. I'm praying for My Ephesian 1 guys. And He's making intercession even now. For God's elect. The perfect illustration from Scripture, I think, you can see this clearly as you think about how Jesus dealt with um, um, Judas and how He dealt with Peter. Do you remember, Jesus says it multiple times in the Gospels. He's always known that Judas did not belong to Him. He's always known it. He keeps talking about it. He's always known it. And so when Judas finally decides to, to give up the, the fraud, what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, go. Do what you do quickly. And that was it. That was the end of it. Now you remember when Peter, when Satan came for, for Peter to sift Peter like wheat. Do you, remember, do you remember what happened there? Jesus knew that Peter was his. And yes, sometimes Satan asks to sift the true believer. And yes, sometimes God lets him do it. All you have to do is read the book of Job. It's as clear as it can be. This is not a mystery. What is Satan's purpose in sifting the, un, uh, in sifting the believer? That he may overthrow your faith. What is God's purpose in allowing Satan to sift your faith? What is the purpose of God, allow, uh, of God allowing Satan to do that? That He will establish your faith. That you'll know you're a Christian. You'll be fully assured you belong to God. And God wants you to be fully assured because a fully assured Christian actually lives it in the world. The denominational Christian only comes to church on Sunday. That's why I don't preach sermonettes. I want you to go out there and I want you to be who you're supposed to be. I want you to be a son or daughter of the king and I want the light to come off of you. I want you to make much of Jesus. If you don't make your life about Jesus Christ, let me just say this to you, if you don't make your life about Jesus Christ, you will waste it. You will waste it. It will be wasted. It will be for naught. I'm trying to exhort you not to do that. But Peter came and Jesus said, Hey, uh, to Peter, He says, uh, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But what did Jesus say? Anybody remember? This is a great text. You have to know this text. I've prayed for you. 
The Son of God says, I've paid for you. And it's not if your faith, if your faith doesn't fail, it's when you come back. Comfort your brothers. It's not if. He's coming back. He's going to survive. His faith will not fail. Why? Because it's a gift from God, one, and God is interceding for him. Listen, when you get to your lowest point, and I've been to a couple, you just remember this. The Son of God is praying to the, to the Father for me. You just remember that. When you get as low as you can get, you remember that. And you start to question the providence of God and the wisdom of God. And why would God ever let this happen to me? When you get to that place, you remember the reality of the situation. If in fact you're a Christian, just remember the Son is interceding for me. And it's not again if Peter's faith will survive. It will survive. Why? Jesus is praying. This is huge, beloved. This is huge. I don't think it's something we think about very often. This is huge. You're supposed to live like you believe. This is true. And you guys know Hebrews 7.25. Listen to this. Just listen to this. I'd forgotten this text. Listen to this. Jesus is able to save forever. Why? Those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make what? Intercession for them. He saves forever. There's your security. Right? He saves forever through His intercession. He bought you through the cross. He atoned for your sin, but He's keeping you through intercession. <laughs> you will persevere. Why? Because He is. He's persevering in intercession. Yeah, just get that mental image. God's interceding for me right now. Just get that mental image and then I dare you to be afraid. <laughs> I dare you to question God. It's not that these things don't happen at times, beloved. They will well up in our fallen hearts. But what we have to do is preach to ourselves. And I want you to remember who's praying for you when it hits the wall. I want you to remember that is true. So Jesus is praying for those whom the Father has given Him. And I'm going to say it again. Don't you dare touch the glory of God in the salvation of His people. Don't you touch it. Don't you discount the Gospel of John and the ten times He says that uh, 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 true believers are a gift from the Father to the Son. Don't you dare discount Ephesians 1 and Romans 8 and Romans 9 and 1 Peter 1. Don't you dare discount that. Don't you dare subscribe to some denominational reinterpretation. What do the words say? It's clear. It's, it, it's you know, any... Any debate about this is laughable. God could not be more clear. Let's move on to verse 10. We already touched on it. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Again, we've touched on this as we looked at verses 7 and 8. And Jesus is simply reiterating that He and the Father are one 30 times. And John, I think, already said it to you. 
Jesus says He is from the Father. So how has Jesus been glorified in all the works and providence of God? Just the same way that we do it. How do we glorify Christ? It's a simple thing. It's not hard. You go out in the world and you obey. And when people ask you, why do you live in this weird way? Why do you talk in this weird way? You know what to say. Because He's awesome and I love Him. Let me tell you about Him. Jesus says in verses 6 and 8, we receive His Word and we keep His Word. It's what true believers do. So I'll just ask you, are you receiving His Word? You know, don't, you're not fooling anybody. If you're not in this, you can't be real. You won't be real. I told you last week I was sharing with Karen, I, I'm so glad I'm a preacher because I have to stay in the Word. Because I know if I were still in business, I wouldn't be in the Word like this. And that's a shame to me. That's a confession. It's a shame to me. But I'm rejuvenated by the Word. I'm encouraged by the Word. You can't be a real Christian if you're not in the Word. You're a pretend Christian. You're a Christianette. You won't have the courage or the strength to be obedient. Verses 11 and 12. And I am no more in the world, yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is already praying. He says, I'm no longer in the world. What's He talking about? The cross is a done deal. He's gone. Okay? <laughs> this, is how God, this is how God talks. It's a done deal. He's not gone yet, but He's gone. The cross cannot not happen. It will happen. Why? God has foreordained it. It's the same as Ephesians 1. God has foreordained it. It will happen. It cannot not happen. And this is how Jesus is praying. He's praying as if it has already occurred. You guys know Peter, what he says in Acts 2.23, and I love this text. He says, the cross has happened by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. I still remember my Greek professor, brilliant man, I remember he taught us that predetermined plan actually defines foreknowledge. You know, a lot of people want to say, well, foreknowledge is God looking down the corridors of time and seeing something happen. That is not biblical foreknowledge. Biblical foreknowledge is more like foreordination. It's not God looking at something down the corridors of time and then making a decision. No. God foreordains, beloved. And that scares some of you, I think. Well, what does God say about His Word? Who is it that God favors? Isaiah 66 2. The one who's humble, the one who's contrite of spirit, and the one who trembles at my word. Feel free to tremble. But don't you ever feel free to edit or discount God. I fear for your soul if you could ever edit the word of God or discount God. This is not 
what we should do. So we're in on intra-Trinitarian communication. Yes, the cross will happen by the foreordination of God. I know there's a low view of God in many so-called churches. Uh, in this modern era, he's pr- portrayed as kind of a pathetic God whose plans are frustrated by the free, the free will decisions of men. That is not the God of the Bible. You know what, is he says, what he says in the Proverbs? He has the king's heart in his hand and he turns it whichever way he will. Your God is probably way bigger than you ever thought. You ever get a biblically accurate view of God in your head? Yeah. <laughs> you'll be a man or woman of prayer. And you'll be a man or woman of action. You won't waste your life. God says unapologetically, I am God and there's no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. No one can stop me in heaven and earth. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I work almost every... Oh, no. I work all things after the counsel of my will. All things. All things. Not just the big things. All things. Your God's probably bigger than you ever thought He was. And that's a good thing for you to realize and repent from. Jesus praises if the cross has already happened because it is foreordained it will happen. You say, well, did the men who crucified Christ, did they have no choice? Yeah. They exercised their free will to murder God. They chose on their own. They exercised their free will to murder God. We'll talk more about it as we get into the cross in the next week or so. Jesus says, I am no more in the world, but my guys are in the world. And He's praying for them. He's praying for them and He's praying for us. This is a, this is a prayer that will never appear in one of Joel Osteen's books. Notice what Jesus doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray, pray for ease and comfort and health and wealth and success and safety. He knows that ten of these guys will be martyred for their witness. He's not praying about temporal things. He's praying about the preeminent thing. And don't you want Jesus to be praying about that for you? Don't bore me with health, wealth, and prosperity. Don't bore me with it. You know, I'd get up and walk out of a church so fast if I started to sense that, man, this church is about health, wealth, and prosperity. I can't stand that. I abominate it. With every fiber of my being, it is a false gospel. Taking millions to hell. It is a false gospel. Father, keep them in Your name. And we know what Paul says in Romans 8, right? Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jesus is praying audibly. And He wants His guys to know all of this. And He wants you and I to know all of this through them. So are we eternally secure because we're good at religion? No. No. God hates religion. And it's not, again, about the, the prayer I prayed or the ordinance I did or the church I, I uh, attended or, or joined. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you're a love gift from the Father to the Son and Jesus will never lose you and Jesus is interceding for you. Don't dumb it down. And don't leave here and go to some stupid church that dumbs it down. 
You know, you're accountable now. <laughs> if you didn't know this stuff before, you know it now and you're accountable before God. You're accountable before God. You know the truth. You know how big He is in your salvation. You know it. I encourage humility. I encourage humility. Verse 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world and they may have that they may have my joy made full in them. Now, we've talked about joy. It just keeps coming up. Yeah, like chapters 15 and 16, it just keeps coming up, right? So how big is the joy of God? How big is it? Okay, I looked this up. He always loves this when I do this. How big is the observable universe? What is the, is it diameter or radius? It's diameter. Yeah, no, the radius. How big is the radius? I get confused about this stuff. How big is the radius of the universe? Does anybody know? I'm going to tell you. 28.5 gigaparsecs. Amy understands. What does this mean? 93 billion light years. A light year is 6 trillion miles or 9.5 kilometers. How big is the joy of God? It's that big at least. It's that big. At least. You guys know how the psalmist celebrate the creation. At the creation, the angels shouted for joy. The dawn shouts. The sun shouts. The hills sing. The meadows and the valleys they shout. The field exalts. The trees sing. The forests sing. The whole earth sings for joy. At the glory of God. How big is and authentic is the joy of Jesus. It's 96 billion times 6 trillion miles big. And it's as authentic as 2 trillion galaxies. I want to just say real quick, has the joy of your Creator begun to inform the way you live? And I'll give you four reasons that it may not be true in your life. One, you're not a Christian. You're a churchgoer, but you're not a Christian. You have no idea what I'm talking about the joy of God. I say receive Him. Two, you're a Christian, but you're entangled in unrepentant sin. What's my counsel? Confess and repent. Three, you're a Christian, but you, you aren't proactively obeying God. You're sitting down. You're not growing. You're the same now that you were last year. That's always wrong. You're supposed to be going to deeper places of faith and obedience. Four, you're a Christian in the midst of deep trial. But what I want to say to you is you already know Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may last for the night, but the shout of joy comes in the morning. Verses 14 to 16, we'll finish up. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, we talked a whole lot about this back in John 15 where Jesus talks about the world hating him and of course the world will hate his people. We understand the world is the fallen system in rebellion against God. Some of you have experienced this personally. You understand what I'm talking about. I'm not going to uh, redevelop that whole ocean of theology there. But we know what the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. It is hostility toward God. Actually, he says, James says, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And Jesus is interceding for those he's bought out of the world. Okay? 
If you're His, you're, you don't belong here anymore. You have that strong sense that you're passing through. And you're kind of, you know, excited about it. This is not my home. I don't have to stay here with all of this, you know, bad stuff. I'm out of here. And that's the great joy of the Christian. Jesus doesn't ask the Father to take us out of the world, but what? To protect us from the evil one. So I, I go back to the point I made earlier. Does God protect His people from the evil one? Absolutely. And He'll use the evil one. He's a dog on a leash. He'll use the evil one to build your faith. What Satan means for evil, God means for good. Something to always remember. God will allow your faith to be tested because you need to know if you're real. You need to know. He already does. You need to know. So this is uh, not a sermonette. Um, there's an ocean of theology here in these 11 verses. If you really believe, own, and live all that Jesus is praying for you in John 17, you will never look like a Christianette. Um, one of those Revelation 3 guys. You will be a fully assured disciple, a Daniel 11.32 Christian. The people who know their God will be strong and they will be doing exploits. It's why Jesus is praying audibly. He's making you free. Jesus is setting you free. To know that you're secure. To know that you can radically obey Him in the world. Listen, he's, He hasn't left one thing undone. You, you're not going to be able to stand before Him on the last day and make excuses. Well, I, I, well this, what? you have all that you need. You have all that you need to be one of His people in the world. So I challenge you to simply believe what Jesus is saying here. Believe it. Believe what Jesus is saying here. Embrace it. Love it. Own it. Live it. John 17 will rock your world. And if it doesn't rock your world, you're hopelessly brain dead or heart dead. John 17 is... I, I, I've told Karen like 20 times. The last couple of weeks just studying John 17, it's like, man, I love this. I love this. I love this. <laughs> I've gotten pretty jazzed about it, as you can tell. So Jesus is praying audibly for His men. Within hours, He'll be nailed to the cross. Their world will be turned upside down, but their eternal security will not be affected. Why? And I'll close with this. Because of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Because of the fact that we are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Because no one can snatch the redeemed out of the Father's hand. Because Jesus will not lose one of the redeemed. Because Jesus uh, never stops interceding for us. He who is able to save forever. So, who shall separate you from the love of God? No one. No one. You are secure. Because your salvation is an intrinitarian reality. Intratrinitarian reality. Again, I, I'm finished. Um, I hear a lot of testimonies, you know. And a lot of times they're a whole lot about me or about the person. 
I always try to say, make it about who it should be about. (laughs) Yeah, you're in there. You're in there. But when you study John 17, you realize just how big your salvation is. Right? And yeah, you understand why the rocks will cry out. You get the whole rock thing crying out. We were singing the song about the rocks crying out. Do you understand that the rocks would cry out? Do you understand if God gave them a tongue, they'd cry out? Then what's wrong with you? As one theologian said, are you going to be bested by a rock? I'm done. Go out there and live it, beloved. Listen, I dare you, I dare you to get ear deep in John 17 and not be changed. Even, a, even an old man like me. I love the Word of God. It rocks my world every week. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We love You. What an amazing text. What license. What freedom. What joy. What power. What assurance. We are Yours. And that can never change. You've made sure of it. It's not about Jim. It's about Jesus. It's about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he's, the, the, the gifts of God are, are repentance and faith. My testimony is God saved me. A reprobate. Lord, we are in awe. Thank You that You've loved us. Thank You that You've redeemed us. Help each one of us, Father, to get some small appreciation for what we're hearing and seeing and learning in, the, in John 17. Open our hearts and our minds. May we think deeply about these things. We love You and we praise You in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great week. Listen, if you have questions about these issues, it's okay to have questions. Just don't edit God. Don't discount God. It's okay to have questions. If you have questions, I'm at the end of the phone or at the end of the email address. Just let me know. I'm happy to assist. God bless. Have a good week.